It is a great joy for me and my family to be with you. We greet you from your African brothers and sisters. I'd like my family, if they will, to stand, please. Joanna, Murray, Elliot, and Daniel. Murray will be 13 in April, Elliot is 11, and Daniel is 9. And we're gypsies right now. We've just folded down our tent up in Washington, D.C., and we're here to be with you for a month. So we hope to be seeing more of you as the month goes by, though we will be off every weekend speaking at different churches. Thank you. And thank you so much for being partners with African Bible Colleges over the last 30 years. Your church was one of the first when Nell and Jack Chen Chen came back from Liberia with this vision. Nell happens to be my sister, and she and Jack had, had been in the deep interior of Liberia with a people that never had had their language written down, and their house burned down over them twice, and they began to wonder, well, what is the best way to reach this vast continent of Africa? And they came up with this view, this vision, that if they could establish a good, strong, university-level training, four years, degree-granting university, in which everything is taught from a biblical perspective, they could, by God's grace, raise up servant leaders for Christ in Africa. So they started the first African Bible College in Liberia over 30 years ago, and God blessed that so much that they went to Malawi the, and started the second African Bible College in about 20 years ago, and it was my pleasure to join them during the second year of that college. They had over 400 applications for the 30 places in the freshman class, and they could not get enough teachers. And from the very first day, there were many very fine students that came all the way down from Uganda, Malawi, and Liberia, 4,000 miles away, and this is another 1,500 miles up. And these Ugandan students said, please bring one of these African Bible colleges up to Uganda. So six years ago, we opened up the third African Bible college that now is university. Now, why are we a university? Well, because we found out very quickly that in Uganda, a college is a secondary school. And there were hundreds of colleges. But why would someone go four years to a college trying to get a degree? Well, we took the sign of the, the signature of the president of the country, uh, Mr. Museveni, to change our name from African Bible College to African Bible University. So we have now graduated three classes, and they are out doing things that we are not, could not possibly do. This last year, we graduated seven or 23 students from seven different African countries, including some of the really hot spots there, Rwanda, where they had the genocide, Sudan, that has had the longest war ever in Africa, the northern part of Uganda, where the LRA, the Lord's Resistance Army, has been so busy, they, they come into a village and they cut off ears and noses and lips and breasts in order to terrorize the people. They make the children murder their own parents or uncles in the village so they will never come back again. One of our students that will be graduating next year had been captured by the LRA three times 
At one point, she, as she was giving her personal testimony, she said she was just in tears. God, why? Why is this my life? She was fortunately spared from being beat to death by the other children, which was the normal procedure if someone fled and or escaped and then was captured again. And she, Grace, she, she's a woman that hopes to go back to her own people up in the north and minister among the displaced persons camps where those that have had to flee from their villages are able to, to seek shelter. But you have been with us along the way from the very beginning. As, unless I'm mistaken, you built the, the gymnasium in Liberia. You built the gymnasium in Malawi, and you have been the largest contributor to the building of the gymnasium in Uganda, which is almost finished now. We're, we're just laying the flooring on the, on, the, on the gym floor at this point. But thank you so much for maintaining us in your prayers. We, we could not be there. We could not do the work that we're doing apart from your prayers and your support here at First Presbyterian Church in Macon, Georgia. Now, the scripture for this morning is taken from Paul's letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy, chapter 6. And we're going to begin reading in the last phrase of verse 5. The last phrase of verse 5 of 1 Timothy, chapter 6. 1 Timothy 6, verse 5, the last phrase. They think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we should be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, O man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith, Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Jesus Christ, while testifying before Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, 
command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. May God bless to our hearts the reading and hearing of this portion of his holy, inspired, invaluable, and inerrant word. Let us pray. Lord God, we humble ourselves before your word. We ask that your spirit may vitalize it into our lives so that we may understand the truth and live according to it. Deliver us, O Lord, from those passions of the flesh that would Direct us into ways of sin and self-centeredness and help us to live every moment of the day to glorify our Lord and Savior who surrendered all that he had in glory and honor and power for our salvation. For we pray in his name. Amen. People have a strange ambiguity about being rich. Those who are rich don't want anyone to know that they are rich. What was it? Getty, the oil magnate who went around in rags all over the world with not hoping that anyone would know that he owned millions and millions of dollars? On the other hand, the poor often want people to think they're rich. So they buy big cars, fancy clothes, They are house poor, but whatever the ambiguity might be, let us recognize that you and I, we are rich. We are the richest people that have ever lived on the face of the earth. Yes, just compare, if you will, ourselves temporally. Do you think the Caesars of Rome who reigned over this massive territory, rode around in an air-conditioned BMW? Hmm? What do you think? Do you think they could go to a Kroger's and have any kind of food that their, their whims desired at any moment, any kind of fresh fruit, vegetables, meat, fish, whatever it is? I, I don't want to make your mouth water at this time of day, but... No, we we are the wealthiest people that have ever lived in the history of the world. And compare yourselves not only temporally, but compare yourselves spatially with the rest of the world. Did you know that probably 80% of the world today, the people of, 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 that, of that percentage, the, the, the wives, the, the mothers, are out all day scrounging around finding something to feed their children to keep them alive. And if there's a little bit of rice or a little bit of maize left at the end of the day, they will have one meal and then they will go to sleep. And that's life for them. Yes, we are the wealthiest people that have lived in the history of the world. Now, God's word has straight talk about riches. And first of all, we need to recognize that there's nothing wrong with being rich. That's not a sin, you know, to be rich. Abraham had a militia of 318 men. 
can, can you man an army, a personal army of 318 men and, so, and sustain them? That was Abraham. And Job was the wealthiest man in the East. David and Solomon were very wealthy men. And yet, there are very serious dangers, very important duties, and very unique delights for those who are rich. So looking at this passage of scripture that Paul wrote to Timothy, a very specific passage of scripture, we're going to look at the dangers, the duties, and the delights of the rich of this world. Well, first of all, the dangers. And there are two main dangers. Paul the Apostle says, charge those who are rich, number one, not to be high-minded, and number two, not to hope in uncertain riches. That's your dangers. First of all, to be high-minded. There is a special problem for the rich to be mega-minded, to have the big head. Now, I haven't checked my map, and I'm not sure this is exactly right. I grew up in Mississippi, and I could walk from my house in Jackson to the Pearl River. Now, I think down in the lower part of Alabama and Mississippi, it's the pearl that separates us from one another. So you may know something about the Pearl River also. But as a kid, I used to go down to the Pearl River. You can go down to the Sandy Pearl, and there you can find soft-shell turtle. Have you ever heard of a soft-shell turtle? Not, not a hard-shell greenback, but a soft-shell. They're rubbery, and they have the same colors of sand with little spots that, that counterfeit them or, or camouflage them. But, but one of the distinctive things of the soft-shell turtle, they're, they're so nice, it's like holding a piece of rubber, and if they bite you, they, you can't feel it. It's just like rubber biting. They're, they're the nicest little pets. Wouldn't you like to have a soft-shell turtle? Well... They, they have this little snoot, and that's the way you find them. They stick this little snoot out of the sand so they can breathe or, or get, I don't know, maybe that's the way they do a little bit of their feeding, I'm not sure. But if you start, spot one of those snoots, then you can catch them. Now, do you know the word snooty? It's like a nose like this, where you look down on other people. That's one of the dangers of the rich. Paul says, charge those that are rich that they be not snooty, that they be not high-minded, looking down their noses at other people. There was a man in, that was the son of a previous pastor of First Church Jackson, Mississippi, very similar to this church as where I grew up. And he used to bring these ragamuffin kids from all over Jackson, right into the middle of the worship services of First Presbyterian Church. And those ragamuffin kids had to be received right in the middle of, of that church that sometimes has some snooty people there. Well, don't be high-minded. In Uganda, we have a lot of street kids. We have kids that grow up on the streets. And when it gets just a little bit cold, someone will come along with little plastic bags filled with glue. And they sell them to these impoverished street kids so they can sniff the glue and it makes them a little insensitive to the cold. Isn't that terrible? 
but don't look down your noses. Don't be snooty to these kids. One of them is now a graduate of African Bible University, and he is our, our, what, our, what our sons call Big Brother, and he now is running the radio station of African Bible University, teaching the treasures of God's truth. We tend to look down at some certain kids and say, well, they're not quite as good as our kids. They don't have as much potential as our kids. But remember, they are made in the image of God. And as the rich, we are not to be snooty or high-minded. The second danger, according to the Apostle Paul, is for the rich to put their hope in uncertain riches. What's your hope for the future? What's your safety net? Inflation can just eat your money away. Well, my grandfather was insurance, in insurance. My father was in insurance. My brother is in insurance. And they all told me the same thing. The only people that can buy enough insurance to really cover all the dangers that they face are people that don't need any insurance. You just can't bank on the future. Well, is your future hope in timber and oil? Maybe you've turned away from stocks and bonds and now it's gold and you're going to invest in gold because you think it's going to maintain the future for you. The word of God says to the rich, this is your danger, that you can put your hope for the future in uncertain riches. And when you get to the future, it may not be there. This word uncertain, it's very interesting. It's like looking through a mist. And you think it's there, but you can't be quite sure that it's there. That's uncertain riches. And you don't know whether when you get there it's going to be there or not. And if I could say just a word to the young people. Do not make the mistake of giving yourself over for the whole of your life to making a lot of money and making your career decisions on the basis of making a lot of money because it's an illusion. And when you get there, it won't be there and it will never satisfy you. So this is the danger. In Richmond, Virginia, right at Union Theological Seminary, who used to be a good Presbyterian seminary, there is a beautiful boulevard that runs right into the seminary. It has these huge, glorious trees in front of every lawn. It has these perfectly manicured gardens, these large houses. Some of them may be antebellum if, if Sherman didn't burn them all down. You know what they call that street? They call it Suicide Row. Why do they call it Suicide Row? Because those rich people trusted in uncertain riches. And when the Great Depression came, they took their lives. This is God's word. This is God's telling us, you, what is the danger of the rich? That you would put your hope for the future in uncertain riches. Now, those are the dangers. Now, what about the duties? And here we have, first of all, your first duty, instead of putting your hope in uncertain riches, is to put your hope in God, who gives us all things richly to enjoy. And he uses the same word, riches, again. 
God gives you richly all things to enjoy. Has not God given you richly? Has not he given you cars, houses, food, drink, clothing, family, job, this church? Is this not a rich thing for God to give you? We need to learn how to receive those things and to accept them from God and to enjoy them. Some decades ago, I heard one of the most peculiar prayers. This person prayed, Lord, thank you for the stimulation of coffee. And I thought, that's the strangest prayer I have ever heard. I had no interest in coffee whatsoever. Thank you for the stimulation of coffee. Now, I just passed 70 years of age, and we were at a little cafe over in Uganda, and I, we sat down next to these people, and this fellow had this big cup like this with all this foam on top, and I said, I'll take one of those, whatever it is. Well, it was a chocachino, not a cappuccino, but it had some chocolate in it, and I was hooked. <laughs> and every morning since then, I wake up and I say, Lord, thank you for the stimulation of coffee. I really do enjoy that first, I don't drink it all day long, but that first cup of coffee, I go to bed at night saying, I am really looking forward to that first cup of coffee in the morning. God has given you all things richly to enjoy. And you're not to be a Scrooge and not enjoy. It would be a sin for you not to enjoy all the things that God has given you. You know, the president can break out into singing, so I can say, the stars belong to everyone. The best things in life are free. Some of you remember that good old song. Paul, the apostle, says, I have learned to abound and to suffer need. What does that mean? You receive what God gives you, you receive it in a godly way, and you be like the apostle, like not the apostle, like the patriarch Job, who said, if anyone has ever knocked on my door with a need, and I have not responded in giving according to that need, then may my arm, may my right arm shrink up and I never be able to use it again. So, enjoy the wealth that God has given you. Learn to abound. Put your hope for the future, for your retirement years. Right now, I'm urging you on the basis of the word of God, put your hope for the future in God and not in that bank account. Don't make the mistake of those on suicide row. You don't know what the future of this country is going to be financially, do you? How can we possibly survive with the debt that we owe? There's an old phrase in the Bible that says, Did you get it? The one who borrows is a slave to the one who lends. You're working as slaves right now in this country because you have become a slave because you have borrowed. You're not working for yourself anymore. You're working for others. So don't put your hope in America. Put your hope in God who richly 
gives us all things to enjoy. That's your first duty. The second duty is do good. You as rich people have a unique opportunity that poorer people do not have. You can do many good things with the resources that God has given you. We, we had a, a conference, a campgrounds for, for training young people up in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And we would bring the inner city kids out there. And they were used to gunshots and sirens and fights and all of those things all night long. But when they went out into these cabins in the woods, they couldn't sleep because of the crickets. The crickets were so loud. They could sleep through gunshot and all of that, but they couldn't sleep through the crickets. But while they were out there, we taught them the word of God. And it changed their whole perspective on life. And how do you, much do you think it costs to sponsor one of those kids from the inner city that had no money? Well, maybe $50, $70. Why, you could have sponsored 10 of them and hardly noticed it. And you could thereby do good. I went to Bellhaven College in Jackson, Mississippi. It had been a girls' school for 75 years and then... We got it so it could train pre-ministerial candidates in the truth of the scriptures. And I think it was about $830 a year for tuition, something like that. Well, now Bellhaven's tuition would be around $27,000 a year. So parents, get ready. That's, that's what it's going to cost, as some of you already know. In Uganda, you, our student could get a scholarship of $2,000 a year, and it would pay for room, board, tuition, books, health, all of those things for $2,000 a year. And some of you in this congregation, you could write a check for $2,000 that would invest in the life of a Ugandan student that would change their lives, and you wouldn't even notice it, would you? Do good with the resources that God has given you. Now, secondly, be rich, he says, in good works. He uses this herb rich for the fourth time. Charge the rich. Don't trust in uncertain riches. God richly gives. Be rich in good works. Do works that are appropriate to you. I like John Grissom. Have you read the book, The Street Lawyer? Pro bono. It didn't seem like he knew that way of legal work as much as some of the other books that he's written about, but it was a good book. Now, lawyers, come to Uganda and do some pro bono work. We've got widows. When their husband dies, the uncles come and they drive them off, the, off their property, and the widow with the orphans is penniless, and it's against the law. But there's no lawyers to defend the widows. Why not come do some pro bono work? Doctors, teachers, we need you in Africa. And preachers, why should you be on top of one another here as doctors and lawyers and teachers when there's a great need? Why not, as a businessman, go to China? Not for two weeks, two months, or two years, but for a lifetime. You, you know how the early missionaries went to Africa? You know how they transported their goods? They had a coffin built, and they put all their goods in a coffin because they knew they were going to die in Africa. Are you willing 
as a rich person today to sacrifice all for the sake of Jesus Christ? Young people, there's nothing better that you could do with your life than right now to say, Lord Jesus, I am ready to go and do whatever you want me to do and wherever you want me to go. Be rich in good works and do it all the time. He says also, graciously share. This is another duty that you have as, as, as wealthy people. Graciously share. The word here is koinonia. You've heard that Greek word, haven't you? Koinonia, what's that? That's fellowship. Now they have a tradition in the Dutch churches, and I'm not recommending that you use this, and Chip is not recommending this, but, but in, in the Dutch churches, the, when the preacher finishes, they say, well, let's have a little fellowship. And inside that hand that's shaking is money. And they're passing it on to the preacher. Let's have a little fellowship. Now you see what that is, is that's interpersonal in your sharing. Have a real relationship with people. Have a heart for them. Don't just do it, but do it in a relational way. So these are the wonderful opportunities that you have, the duties that you have as the wealthy. You have opportunities that other people do not have. Use it to the glory of God. The dangers, the duties, and finally, what are the delights that you have as the rich? What are the delights? There are some special delights that Paul talks about here. And the first one is you can treasure up for yourselves a firm foundation in the age to come. You can right now invest in eternity with your funds. You see what I'm doing right now? Watch, look, you're doing the same thing. What am I doing? I'm dying. I'm in the decade of my death. I'm between 70 and 80 years of age. I'm dying. And some of you are dying too. But you know, before you die, you can invest in the future. You know, there's a strange verse that I've puzzled over. Luke chapter 16, verse 10. You write that verse down and look at it. But this is what it says. One of Jesus' most puzzling parables. Literally, he says, make friends with the mammon of unrighteousness so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwelling places. Now, what's the mammon of unrighteousness? Hmm? In short, money. That's right. The mammon of unrighteousness is money. But Jesus says, make friends with money so that when it fails, when you have no more money, they will receive you into the eternal dwelling places. Who is the they? Well, the people that you've made friends with, with your money. Now, if you invest in a scholarship for a student in Uganda, and this is not the only thing you can do. Paul Chin Chin is going to be here in a couple of weeks, and he's going to talk about scholarship funding in Liberia and Malawi. If you invest, you know, that student that you help is probably going to die before you die because lifespan is expected to be about 43 in Uganda. And then, so they die, and then you die, and when you get to heaven, who's going to be sitting, standing there waiting to receive you with all sorts of warmth that only Africans can do? Well, it's the one that you made friends of while you had the opportunity here in this life. 
You get it? This is one of the great delights that you have, that you can now make friends with the mammon of unrighteousness. You can make money that's dirty money. It's, it causes all sorts of sins, but you can redeem it as a Christian by making good use of it, and then you will receive a heavenly reward. So make use of your opportunities. And the last, what is the last delight that you have? He says, you can experience as a rich person life that is truly life. Lobster. Lobster and steak in the same meal. Wearing fancy clothes. Driving luxurious cars. Wearing expensive jewelry. Having tremendous vacations. That's not life and you know it. That's existence. This is life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. All of those things, they will never, ever satisfy anyone. But Jesus. To know Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you, as a rich person, can know life that is truly life. So, we are rich. May God give us grace to experience all the unique blessings to avoid the dangers and to do the duties of those that are being blessed of God. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for opening the windows of heaven and pouring out blessings too numerous for us to receive. We have done so little with the opportunities you have given us, O oh Lord. They have passed us by, and we come and ask that you will move us now by your spirit to live life to the fullest as we live in perfect communion with you, the source of life. For we pray in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us. Amen.